Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad to be with y'all today. This uh, Super Bowl hangover Monday, as some people might call us. Some people stayed up partying a little too hard. May have uh, may have enjoyed the halftime show a little bit too much. I did. I enjoyed it a whole lot. I know that there are some folks out there who were uh, who were not really fans of it, but that's okay. It was at least a better put-on show than a lot of recent Super Bowl halftime shows. And I I would pay to uh, to go see that as an actual concert lineup. I think you get that lineup there, giving them that little bit of time. It's like, I think it was 15, 16 years ago, they had that Live 8 concert, the big concerts all around the world, in, in, uh, put on by Bob Geldof. And they got the original, I say original, not the original, but the, the main Pink Floyd lineup that you remember, got them all on stage together for the first time in decades and gave them like 10 to 15 minutes to play. You just don't do that. You yeah. say, how much time do you guys need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, um, I thought they didn't have enough Eminem in the, in the concert last they night. Didn't. That was my only complaint. They they didn't, but at the same time, uh, every artist that was up there, I really, really liked. That yeah. was that was songs of, of childhood and high school and everything. But it was Oh, just, that was our time. Yeah. I mean, like, we, I was at a Super Bowl party with some friends, and everybody, it, it felt nostalgic. Yeah, <laughs> it, was it, back it to definitely did. The game itself, I thought, was a pretty good game. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a big, like, flashy game, but it was a very good game. I think no, take nothing away from the Rams. They had some great defensive play and everything. I think the Bengals, though, lost that one more than the Rams won because those personal foul-type penalties really mm-hmm. kept Los Angeles in the game more than they should have been at that point. I think given that... Uh, the Bengals were playing a very good game. The only, I think, criticism I have other than the penalties would be the offensive line has to learn to protect him more. I think we're looking at, what, nine, ten sacks oh, in that game. Man, they had bad. like a dozen sacks in a previous playoff game. So their their protection of their quarterback is not great, but that's more of a testament to him because he keeps them in games and actually lets them win games despite mm-hmm. getting you know ten or more sacks in a and, game. And they were going against arguably the best defensive front seven in the, in, in yeah. the NFL yesterday. I mean, you— Again, take nothing away from Los Angeles. The Bengals were winning and would have been would have kept winning if not for some of those penalties. They really kept Los Angeles in the it kept their offense alive. The offense was struggling. They had what a handful of rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Their their offense came from their passing plays. Uh, but it, you're looking at a Bengals team that if they can tweak those things, they can tweak some of their secondary, if they can tweak their offensive line and they can make sure they don't have any of those stupid penalties. You're looking at a team that's going to make routine appearances deep into the playoffs, if not the Super Bowl. It's always funny how we look at the losing team in a game like this and start pointing out all the things that's that need they need help. And you're absolutely right, but they barely lost. They did, you they know. Did. And, and and the Rams, look the way the Rams came out. I'm thinking, okay, they overwhelm them in the beginning, and and that's it. But I always thought, hey, if look the Bengals can kind of hang around, not let it get out of hand, they'll make it a great game. But then they took the lead early on the first play of the third quarter, and I'm thinking, oh, wow. They mm-hmm. figured out the Rams early on, but it kind of felt like they may have played a little too conservatively. Didn't They kind of took their, their gas off the pedal a little bit, and they just yeah. let the Rams hang around. And I'm thinking, that is way too much talent to let hang around in this ballgame. Now, I, I will have to say that uh, – the commercials were not as flashy as as they had been in the past. They didn't really hold my attention. I thought the Dolly Parton 
T-Mobile commercial was funny. <laughs> I thought that was great using the star power of Dolly Parton, who does all these wonderful activism causes, and then turning that into a phone commercial I think was brilliant. I like the Keeping Up with the Jones commercial. Yes, that, that one and the uh, the bowling commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was those those were it for me. But again, the sports news obviously of the day: the the Rams are the Super Bowl champions, uh, winning a very close one against the Cincinnati Bengals. But locally, that's not the only sports news to pay attention to, because we have. Girls high school basketball pairings mm-hmm. that came out yesterday. And I care about it because I've been a coach and because this is something that I routinely kind of follow. And a friend of mine texted me. Her husband is is one of the coaches that's that's going to probably be going deep into the playoffs for for their class. But just looking at them real quick, uh Lafayette going to be getting a visit from Fontainebleau. Uh Lafayette is number three with a twenty six and four record. Uh, Southside 19 and 10 record is going to get a visit from Zachary and Acadiana is traveling to Parkway. That's in class 5A, class 4A. Uh, Bro Bridge is traveling to Rain. Uh, Northside getting a visit from Assumption. North Vermilion giving, getting a visit from Franklin Parish. And Karen Crow will be hosting Carver uh, in class 3A. You have Jennings, the, the team I was talking about. Coach Eric Gidry over there will be playing host to Union Parish. Uh, let's see. Locally, you have see 3A. So we're, I'm, I know North Vermilion. North Vermilion is – no, they're in 4A now. Uh, let's see. Who else in 4A? Uh, Kaplan. Kaplan will be traveling to South Beauregard and Abbeville traveling to Northwest in Class 2A. Anybody local, uh, Delcom traveling to Rose Pine. And then in 1A, I know we've got some teams that routinely get into the playoffs there. Am I? But I'm not seeing them. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 1A, uh, we see our, our select schools, so that'll be in the division playoffs. Uh, looking at Division One, uh, nobody local. Division Two, we have, let's see. There will be some good matchups. Turlings is going to Vanderbilt Catholic. Turlings number 15 with a 10 and 20 record. That will be an interesting game. Lafayette Christian in Division 3 gets a bye this week or this first game. Uh, you have, let's see, Catholic New Iberia is going to St. Charles. In Division 4, you've got Vermilion Catholic playing host to Sacred Heart Ville Platte. Uh, I do have to give a shout-out. St. Mary's of Natchitoches, where I went to school, will be traveling to Highland Baptist. And uh, Division 5. Nope, that looks like it. So locally, those are some matchups you'll see. If any of those are local, if you've got kids, grandkids, family members there, go out and support your local athletes. Then this Sunday, the pairings will be released for boys basketball, so you will be able to see all of that as well. Looking forward to some great matchups there. So that's all the sports news, kind of rolling through this first segment with the sports news. Wait, how did how David Thibodeau do in the uh, soccer over the weekend? Uh, so David Thibodeau played host to Lusher Charter, okay, and ended up it ended up being a five zero loss. Oh wow, yeah. You said Lusher, Lusher was good. Lusher is probably the number two team in the state mm-hmm. uh, in all the teams that are playing. Behind. They're they're very good. Yeah. Uh, they're in in that division pair in that division. They're behind ULab. Oh okay, yeah. And so it's it's. Yeah. It is a very big, you know, one, two, and then kind of a drop-off for the rest. But yeah. take nothing away from the heart that the David Thibodeau kids put 
out on the field against Lusher. It was a very good game to watch. And and the the Bulldogs go out there and it's like, you know, the pressure is on Lusher. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who have to justify their ranking. We're gonna go out there and give it their all. Mm-hmm. And you look at a soccer score and you think one oh two, oh three, oh four, or whatever, it seems like a, you know, at certain points a blowout. Yeah. It's really a lot closer game than you think. It just, you know, all it takes is that one lucky shot, that one lucky kick on goal, that one uh, that one pass, that one cross kick, whatever it is. And Lusher is a team. They play very technically sound uh, soccer. You you go out there, you see that all of their touches, all of their passes, it's all it all goes where you want it to be. A, a coach would – co- some coaches only dream of having that level of technical skill, and mm-hmm. Lusher routinely puts that on, out on the field. So take nothing away from either team. I'm proud of the Bulldogs for how they play and, and and having just a great season overall, especially playing through a lot of COVID quarantines and things like that. Those quarantines, especially for public schools, not as much for the private schools because the private schools kind of, they, they don't have like district rules they have to follow. Districts yeah. put together the rules and everything. Those COVID rules can really, really hurt a team. Mm-hmm. 232-1542 if you want to call in. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, there is some some foul play afoot with the Ronald Green investigation. We're going to talk about that and more coming up on the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with you all today. A little bit of sports in that first segment. I do have to say it is very sweet. The relationship between a radio host and their producer, Moon, just walked in and oh, handed God. Brandon a Valentine's bag. <laughs> yeah. Then he said, well, then he asked, will you be my Valentine? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> but thank you, Moon, for bringing that over, man. Uh, Brandon joined, filling in today. Uh, producer Mark is out for a while. Brandon will be with us. Thank you, Brandon, for filling in and yeah. for, uh, for helping this show run smoothly. Now, I have to bring this up. The top state police leader tied to the Ronald Green cover-up had their phone data erased. And this is from uh, the Chris Nakamoto at WBRZ in Baton Rouge. As state pressure started mounting against state police following controversial excessive force incidents, including the death of Ronald Green, the phone of top agency Lieutenant Colonel Doug Kane was scrubbed of its data. This process is known as being sanitized, and it appears to have erased the messages and other information from Kane's phone. The timing is interesting. It came amid a state and federal investigation into Green's death. So you have, again, the the highest-ranking state police leader involved in the Ronald Green case, the Ronald Green cover-up. His phone's been wiped. And uh, this is at at WBRZ. Scott McKay, the Hayride, picked up on it. Uh, noting that there's a legal term for what's happening here, and it's called spoliation of evidence, meaning it's effectively destroying evidence which might serve to prove the opponent's case. And this is a very, very interesting thing to be happening right now because you have the House, which has its special committee, four Democrats, four Republicans, one of those Democrats being State Representative Edmund Jordan, who uh, his quote, uh, the WBRZ went to him and and got a quote. And his quote, it kind of dances around, you know, how problematic this actually is. For me, it's very disturbing, Jordan said. This is not something that's unique. This is not a one-off situation that's unforeseen. That's why we have litigation holds. That's why we have them for years. Anytime there's a threat of litigation, you need to preserve those records. 
this is a big deal. Records pertaining to an investigation, something that's being investigated by both the state and the federal government. Evidence is now gone, potentially gone for good. That's not a good look on Louisiana State Police. And this is coming at a very, very sensitive time. The, the LAGOP is going to call for his resignation. House Republicans will call for his resignation. All of, the, all of the Republican members of the legislature will call for Edwards' resignation. And they will be joined by Green's family and the National Bar Association. I mentioned this last week. There, uh, the National Bar Association is a predominantly black lawyer group that is going to be that has already called for Edwards' resignation. Green's family is furious at how this is all playing out, and they want Edwards to resign. Edwards had a press event I, uh, today, and it was I think he was being asked about emergency orders, but basically said he's going to keep those in play. Said nothing about the Green case and talked a lot about redistricting. All of these things are going on at once. It's a lot on anybody's plate, but when you're a, you're a term-limited governor and it looks like all sides are rising up against you at this point, you have black Democrats in your party who are not happy and have not been happy for a while, but they, they, they are seeing this as an opportunity, blood in the water, to finally uh, seize a little more control of the party. You have... Uh, you have the uh, the Republicans who have uh, almost veto-proof majorities. In fact, I think the vote for the House map, uh, the numbers were veto-proof. There, I think they got, I think they got enough votes uh, for the initial passage to be veto-proof. You have uh, all throughout the state people who don't like the optics of this Green case, and now they're looking at it very sideways and kind of wondering. What's going on here? And then you have this story pop out. WBRZ uh, is investigating this, uh, digging as deep into this as possible. The month Kane's phone was sanitized, according to WBRZ, is the same month internal investigator Albert Paxson said he brought the Green case file, the Green case file to the FBI. Federal prosecutors were already looking into the case after being contacted by Monroe Area District Attorney John Belton. Paxton kept thorough notes about Green's death and eventually left state police when he took heat for not falling in line with the cover-up. He noted Kane blew him off when he expressed concerns about the case early on. The notes also indicate, indicate Kane appeared angry when he learned that one of the troopers involved that night might face charges. So Kane is apparently angry about, at the time, was very angry about the possibility of charges for one of the office, for one of the state troopers. And his phone has now, it's now confirmed his phone has been scrubbed. And it's not just this is something that WBRZ discovered. State police confirmed it. They said nothing else about it, but they did confirm to WBRZ that, yes, the phone was sanitized. It's not a good look, and it's a very, very troubling situation coming from the top law enforcement of our state. The state uh, police have... Uh, have a lot of authority and to see that authority being abused in the way that it's been abused in this Ronald Green case just kind of leaves you worried. Now, amid all this, what happens if Edwards does resign? Probably not going to happen. He is taking the he is taking a, a, a 
the usual route of staying quiet, not saying anything, basically following his years of, of, of lawyer training. And he is, uh, he's being quiet. If he resigns, that puts Billy Nungesser in charge. And some speculation that could be a problem for Republicans. Uh, Jeff Landry and John Schroeder both running for that spot in 2023, and that makes Republican Billy Nungesser in charge, and that makes him the incumbent. I think that's probably not going to be a problem. McKay agrees. Uh, Nungesser, I'm not sure, really is going to be an effective governor in that position. You'll have several months to kind of show that he's you know, not capable of running that spot. Um, Nungesser is really good about tourism and promoting the state, but I don't see him as being ready to handle the state. Not, not in the way that he's going to want to handle the state. You need a, a sharp turn from the status quo. And I think Nungesser is probably going to be too moderate for that in order to make that change. So even if Edwards resigns and Nungesser steps in, I don't think Nungesser is going to be all that effective a governor and could lose out and not have that incumbency advantage and lose to a Schroeder or a Landry in that race. We are going to go to the phones, 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. We've got Chris here in Lafayette. Chris, how are you? Yes, uh, I'm okay. Uh, uh, I've been following this now for the better part of 20 years. Mm -hmm. The corruption in Lafayette, Lafayette Consolidated Government, I forfeited like seven to $8,000 worth of labor as a graft fee for them to cease the criminal activity against me until I could uh, get out of Lafayette Parish and in a place where I would be secure, where they could no longer make assaults on me. So uh, knowing about the corruption in Lafayette and the Lafayette uh, uh, and the Louisiana State Police, because I brought uh, on numerous uh, charges with the Lafayette uh, or the right. Louisiana Chris, I'm sorry, we, we're at a hard break. Thank you very much for calling in. Um, and yes, it is a problem when our government abuses its authority. All that and more coming up here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL 232-1542. If y'all want to join in the conversation, you can also catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And you can find any portion of the show that you missed by listening to the podcast version on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to join in, like I said, the phone lines are open, and we've got Alec in New Iberia joining us. Alec, how are you? How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, uh, you know, I mentioned in the last segment the possibility that John Bell Edwards is forced to resign, ends up resigning, whatever the case may be, and that puts Nungesser in charge. I'm wondering if his incumbency will help him in 2023 and you have some thoughts on that so share that and you know look we're talking about a a big what if like mm -hmm. a marvel style what if okay now if we even have to go down this route and it happens we we can't underestimate what billy nungesser did for his parish of plaquemines after katrina this man was a hands-on going into neighborhoods and not waiting on other people to come. He, he was right there in the thick of it. Yeah. And I really believe that that, that essence of Nungesser has never really been lost. We look at what he's done 
with the tourism campaign of the great state of Louisiana. And honestly, in the past, I would say 15 years, we haven't had such an amazing campaign like he's put together in, 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 in radio commercials, television commercials, going to New York City for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, going to Pasadena, California for the Rose Bowl Parade, building floats to promote Louisiana. No one's done anything like that before. So it shows that Nungesser is available to thinking outside the box and that even in the position of tourism, he's doing the very best that he can. So if we have a what-if scenario, I think he would actually be a good governor because his know-how, hands-on, I remember when he was running for, for tourism, he was in Delcom, Louisiana. He was in Erap, Louisiana, going to all the little different festivals and, and putting the hands to his hand and shaking the great, shaking the people's hands. So, I mean, that's my thoughts. Now, reality-based, I believe Jeff Landry will be the next governor of, of Louisiana. That is my prediction. That is my thoughts on that based upon what we as Republicans within the state are looking and leaning towards. And I think because of what Edwards has shown through his actions, not his words, we're not going to have a Democratic governor yeah, on the I, next go around. I agree. And the, it, it's going to come down to whether or not the Republicans in the state are going to lean more moderate or lean more conservative. Let's right. say let's let's say that, you know, he doesn't resign and you have Schroeder versus Landry versus Nungesser. You're right. right in Nungesser's ability to be charismatic, get his name out there, is, is very good. And the stuff that he's done for the state in that position has been very good. But the, we are in a very interesting political time where everybody is going to, as the political pendulum swings, everybody is swinging further toward the right right now. And I'm not sure that that moderate stance that he's going to be taking is going to be what gets there. Now, if, he, if Edwards does resign and he... You know, he does fill in that role. You're right. What he does as governor can reflect his ability to just get out and do things. But there's a lot more to that than even being a parish president during a, a major catastrophe like Katrina. So it's it will be very interesting to see. The other thing will be. Who is Nungesser's voting base? Because the Republicans are right. going to want a Landry or a Schroeder, and the Democrats are going to want a Democrat. Right. He's trying to play the middle. I mentioned recently, you know, he's doing this big civil rights trail across the state, and he's he's really making a play for centrist and even some of the black vote in that. But a Democrat rolls through, and, and I'm still thinking Gary Chambers is probably really angling for governor. He's just using the Senate race as a means to lay a statewide foundation. But... Right. Black Democrats in the state are going to gravitate toward a black candidate, whether it's Chambers, whether it's uh, uh, Weston Broom of Baton Rouge, because there's rumors that she wants to jump in, whoever it may be. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. Um, look, look, I mean, I don't want to talk too much, but I, I used to be a former employee with the city club of Baton Rouge mm -hmm. and, and she's a member. And let me tell you what those walls have seen. To what she says out in the outside, public versus private, that's a whole other ball of wax right there. Yeah, it really is. Alec, thank you very much for the call. Thank you for joining us with your thoughts. 232-1542, uh, anybody else who wants to jump in? All right, a little bit of breaking news. Uh, if you've been following this particular case, a judge has tossed Sarah Palin's libel suit against the New York Times. Uh, this was the case where Sarah Palin was uh, suing the New York Times uh, in this libel case because... 
they had written pieces that had tied her to the Gabby Gifford shooting in Arizona. If you remember that story, uh, this this lunatic goes and shoots up a Gabby Giffords event where she's at, and and she is injured. She almost dies, but she comes back. She's a big anti-gun advocate right now. At the time, Sarah Palin's own activism website had this big little had these target signs over key districts that they wanted to target politically. Well, a bunch of activists on the left and the media said, well, this is just violent rhetoric from the Republicans and Sarah Palin is responsible for this. Well, it turns out the guy was a socialist lunatic who uh, was going after Giffords for a completely different reason. And so Palin uh, sued the New York Times for defamation because they had put out there that she might have been tied to this because it was her rhetoric that was getting the shooter out there. And a judge uh, has just tossed it. That is uh, out on the newswire right now. 232-1542 if you want to call in. Before we go, because we have a few minutes before our next break, um, I wanted to mention something that's in The Advocate. I don't have the numbers for here, but this is in Baton Rouge. Headline at The Advocate. Domestic violence deaths surged in 2021. A new report shows just how drastic the spike was. In 2019, you had four domestic violence deaths in Baton Rouge. In 2020, you had 19. In 2021, you had 36. The spike in killings followed a trend that began in the early months of the pandemic when victims and abusers alike were confined to their homes and violence could flourish unchecked behind closed doors. This is according to The Advocate. As violence has continued unabated, experts cite other contributing factors such as fatigue from the pandemic, financial hardship, child care and education stressors, and fallout from Hurricane Ida. You also have with that economic issues, you know, out your ears. You have all of these very stressful factors that are going on. But it begins with the pandemic. Everybody is at home. Everybody is encouraged to stay home. People aren't going anywhere. And when people aren't going anywhere, not only does the chance for the violence arise, but the chance of somebody seeing you and noticing something is wrong decreases dramatically. Domestic violence is a very serious issue. And this is part of the fallout from the shutdowns from the pandemic. And it continues on as the pandemic got worse as the economy went on a major downturn, we have all of these stress factors right now that are causing more and more issues at home. Folks, if you know something is happening or do you suspect something is happening, speak out. This is an issue near and dear to my heart not for any personal reasons, but because it is the right thing to do to protect our families. All too often, we see these situations where something is going on and nobody really speaks up about it. The stories that you see on TV, in the, in, in the shows and everything like that, they're always the same. Oh, it's the, it's the clean-cut guy that you never suspect. Turns out to be an abuser. In the real world, that's not always the case. There are very visible signs. 
There are very noticeable signs, and there are signs that you can pick up on. If you know somebody who's in a situation, there are organizations to help. If you suspect, ask around, because you're not the only one who's noticed something. Domestic violence is a very real issue, and this spike in Baton Rouge, I'm, I'm going to guess, is, a sim- is something similar that you would see around the state, here, and around the country. So please, keep an eye out, keep an ear out, and help where you can. 232-1542, we are going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, why is CNN constantly attacking people who are more successful than them? All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL, 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation, a little bit of breaking news. This is just out from the Daily Advertiser, my friend Lee Gidry over there. Lafayette Parish School Board plans to discuss changes to quarantine regulations for students exposed to COVID-19 at a special meeting on Tuesday. The sole item on an agenda uh, posted this afternoon concerns the 21-22 Learn Lafayette reopening plan, which includes quarantine guidelines. Uh, This was discussed at their meeting last week. And it looks like, it, it sounds like there are the votes on the board to shift things around to make it to where kids aren't missing so much school if they are exposed. Uh, With this latest wave, the Omicron variant, we had a lot of students who were forced out of school due to close contact. But the whole point of our reopening plan and our quarantine guidelines and everything was to make sure that kids did not miss as much school as possible. Well, with this latest wave, it seemed like kids were getting sent home only to come back and then get sent home again because they kept getting in close contact. The school board realizes this. They, they want to apparently make a change here. Uh, so we should expect an interesting meeting coming tomorrow to discuss that issue. So again, the uh, school board will be hosting or will be holding a special meeting on Tuesday to discuss the Learn Lafayette reopening plan which includes quarantine guidelines. Should be an interesting meeting, and I think the school board has the votes to make changes to the quarantine policy. But part of the issue is, again, you're looking at the state's uh, Department of Health guidelines, and part of the getting rid of masking thing was you have to adopt Louisiana Department of Health's guidelines. I think the newest guidelines are supposed to come out today or did come out today. I haven't seen them yet, uh, but there might be some changes in there that that make the school board feel ready to go ahead and and pull the trigger on making some changes to their own quarantine policy. We shall see tomorrow. All right. The Joe Rogan CNN stuff. I don't know how much you guys have been following. I've, I've mentioned it a little bit. CNN is struggling to break a million viewers in any of its key time slots. They have been on a steady decline ever since Donald Trump left office. Since Trump left office, one of their primetime hosts was let go over multiple ethical violations, though the firing actually came several months after he really should have been fired due to those violations. The president of CNN, Jeff Zucker, was forced to resign. Their viewership has collapsed. The public's trust in CNN is low. Joe Rogan, meanwhile, 
has a podcast. Every episode is somewhere between one and four hours, depending on the subject and depending on the conversation he has. He's got, what, 11 million listeners. Potentially 11 million. It doesn't, if, if he gets 10% of that, he's still doing better than CNN, even in its primetime spots. CNN has been going after Rogan probably much harder than any other cable network of the left has been, including MSNBC. CNN has been attacking Rogan nonstop, not just for in this recent bit, but for, for months. Going back to the ivermectin stuff, they've been attacking him. And it's only gotten worse. And then there's the, the clip that surfaced of him using the racial slur. And so everybody kind of pivoted to that. But CNN has really kind of stayed on message with the whole he's misinformation thing. Spotify should do more. Likewise, for years, CNN has been attacking Fox News, which has routinely trounced them in viewership. The one area that CNN performs better than the others is its digital platform its website, its stories, its videos, things like that. They get upwards of 120 million unique clicks per quarter, which is big. Fox only gets up to about 80 million. That's big, that's big for CNN's digital platform. But that's not going to translate to CNN+. Plus. CNN Plus is the new streaming platform that they are launching that will be a subscription-based model like a lot of these other networks have, and it will focus on unique content and, and more in-depth content and more CNN-style stuff. It's one of the reasons they were able to bring uh, Chris Wallace over from Fox News. They have a lot of folks that they've brought over from other areas in order to host shows and host content on this platform. Their chief media correspondent, CNN, Brian Stelter, uh, routinely attacks Fox News. It makes it a, a focal point of his show, Reliable Sources, which draws a bigger audience when he's not on. Over the summer, he had somebody filling in for his show one Sunday, and he got better viewership than any of the Sundays during that month that he was on the air. It was incredible. CNN is currently defined by their loudest voices, the former host, Chris Cuomo, current host, Don Lemon, Jim Acosta, these others, Brian Stelter. They're also defined by their former boss, Jeff Zucker, who, who was considered a legend in all this. And, and the people of CNN were absolutely upset that he was fired. The network does have good people. Yes, they are almost all of the left, but some of them are good reporters that ask tough questions of both sides. Sometimes, most of the time, tougher questions of one side than the other, but still, they ask tough questions of the Democrats. They're always constantly overshadowed by the loud voices, the loud leftist voices. Joe Rogan can put out a two to four hour podcast and get it listened to by millions. Fox News can offer opinionated contact, uh, content and still draw more nightly viewers than CNN. The most trusted name in news sees, sees all this happening and they are so upset at the audacity of these upstarts because CNN was here first. CNN can't do subscription-based digital content. And they're struggling. And so they continue to attack and attack and attack. 